If you're looking to sell your private company stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello, and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital podcast. I'm TechCrunch reporter Kate Clark, and I am joined by my co-host, Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief, Alex Wilhelm. How's it going, Alex? It's going well. We are trying out some new recording software, and actually, we have some cool stuff coming up. We have a couple of live things. We have a couple of really neat guests, uh, and we're going to take Equity a little bit on the road, which is pretty exciting. Um, but for people out there who are new to listening to us, our numbers have gone up substantially recently. Uh, we just want to kind of remind everyone kind of what we do. So we focus on the world of venture capital. We kind of focus on the numbers behind the stories, the headlines you always see. Kate and I here are the primary hosts, and we are often, I would say, joined by TechCrunch editor Connie Loises and Extra Crunch's Danny Crichton. Yes, and we try to have VCs on the show as often as we can to give you guys an insider perspective beyond just Alex and I. We are really, really stoked because we've got a ton of great guests lined up for August and September and beyond. So it's something for everyone to look forward to. And just a reminder, you can always reach us at equitypod at techcrunch.com if you have some ideas for maybe some potential guests. If you're a VC who'd like to come on, we'd love to hear from you. All right. And to kick things off this week, we have uh, what counts as breaking news. So right when we were getting the show pulled together, some big news dropped that we couldn't help but dig into, which is that DoorDash, which we talked about a lot on the show, is buying Caviar, which we haven't, from Square, which we've never mentioned. So I have a lot of questions, Kate, but what is the, uh, the gist of this deal? Yeah, unfortunately, I think I have more questions than answers at this point. But I do love when we get to talk about breaking news. It's very exciting. Okay, so about an hour ago, DoorDash announced that it had reached an agreement with Square to purchase Caviar, which is the on-demand food delivery and catering business, from Square for $410 million in cash and stock. So right now, we don't know how much of that deal is cash and how much of that deal is stock. Alex, do you have a guess as to which of it uh, would be the majority? Well, I would always say in a situation like this, that the majority is going to be stock because every company yeah. wants to conserve cash as much as they can if they lose money. And we know DoorDash does. But we also know that DoorDash has raised a kind of astounding amount of private capital in the last 12 months. Uh, it's raised, I think it's $1.25 billion in the last 12 months, give or take. So if they had to pay more cash, Kate, they could. But I believe the original sale of Caviar to Square was all stock. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, stock was the majority component of this transaction. Yeah, I agree. I mean, DoorDash has to be one of the most well-capitalized private businesses that there is in the market today. So, you know, they certainly are sitting on just mountains and mountains of cash. So they have the ability to do this. So the acquisition isn't surprising, but... You know, I think people were surprised, and I know I was, by them purchasing Caviar because it already was owned by Square. And there are plenty of other businesses, you know, that it could have acquired in this food delivery space. And I think we all expect consolidation, but that just wasn't really the deal that I saw coming. I mean, were you surprised by this? I hadn't even heard the, the merest rumor that yeah. Square wanted to get rid of Caviar, let alone that it was going to sell it for this amount of money. Because if you go back in time to 2016, Square wanted to offload Caviar but it couldn't find a buyer even at a $100 million price tag. So three years ago, they were willing to drop it for a quarter of what it sold for today, and they couldn't find someone to pick it off their hands. Here comes DoorDash, and they're paying <laughs> four X. Uh, and so gently, with a whole bunch of respect to people who have numbers that I don't, it feels a bit like they overpaid. Yeah, my first I think we're in agreement. Um, I'm a bit 
skeptical as to why they would pay $410 million. It's funny. So, you know, going back in time a little bit, Square bought Caviar five years ago um, and what you mentioned, $90, $90 million stock deal. Caviar emerged, um, you know, around the same time a lot of companies were, were launching in the food delivery space. Like I was just doing some research, you know, a few minutes ago and Caviar sold Square only a couple months after they raised, I think it was like a $13 million Series A. And just in that same couple of months, Postmates raised a $16 million Series B. So very interesting to see like how both Caviar and Postmates have evolved. Now Postmates is getting ready to go public on its own. At least that's what we're expecting. And Caviar is now changing hands for the second time. Well, I mean, ironically, I think we're going to see Caviar go public via DoorDash uh, when DoorDash eventually does go public. And we were talking yeah. about this a little bit before the show. And the question was, you know, when? And so when I'm thinking about an IPO timing, I kind of consider like market conditions, are they favorable, which could drive people in? Uh, has the company raised a lot of money recently that can push an IPO out? Or if you bought something that can also delay an acquisition, will you kind of uh, delay an IPO? I'm sorry, will you kind of digest the acquisition? But in this case, I don't actually know how the three things kind of triangulate into figuring out when DoorDash will eventually go public. But it has to. It's worth $12.6 billion. Right. So it's one of the most valuable companies. It will go public, I'm guessing, next year. But so they just raised, I know you mentioned they'd raised over a billion dollars in the last year alone. But um, I, was their last round, was it a Series G? I know we're working our way through the alphabet at this point. I think it was a Series G. Okay. Uh, so. so they raised a $250 million round about a year ago. They raised a $400 million round in February, if my memory holds up, and a $600 million round in May. So it's been bonkers over at DoorDash. Yeah. And I mean... I'm sure a lot of that capital raising is, is, a, is a result of the fact that there's so much money in the market. They know they can bring it in. They're like, let's do it while we can. But like you said before we started taping, it's also the fact that they're burning through so much cash. So, I mean, I'm excited to see the S1 and like get a, actually look at like how far from profitability DoorDash may or may not be and just get a sense of like how much money they've been throwing out the window. Yeah, well, they would say invest. You know, they would quibble with your phrase. They're investing in growth. <laughs> here's here's one last thought. I know we should move on to the next story, but um, do you recall when we were talking about, actually, this may have been before you were on the show, heck, uh, Luck and Coffee, when they were first blowing up and raising piles of money, um, they were growing like, a, like you wouldn't believe. They're growing like it feels DoorDash is now. And then we got the S1 and it was super unprofitable because it was so expensive. And so I'm curious if we'll see this company end up having a similar looking uh, document, although with different expenses because Lucky was building stores and whatnot. Yeah. But. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, DoorDash is one of those companies that I feel like behind closed doors, VCs are like, you wouldn't believe the growth. And so all you kind of hear is that. And you're like, wow, they must have, they must have so many customers. They must be making so much money. But then, yeah, I think when you end up actually looking at the S1, you're like, okay, so this is what people were so excited about. Like, uh, Dude, VCs thought that Uber was going to be doomed without Travis. All right. They're not always correct. VCs know many, many things, but they're not always correct. So perhaps in this case, we'll be uh, more accurate, but we'll see. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. Um, but let's move on. We're going to talk about something that's uh, not traditional venture capital, but includes a traditional venture, ca venture capital round. So ClearBank, Kate, has raised some equity and uh, some more money. What's going on here? Yeah, so ClearBank, which is a company that provides revenue-based financing to startups and just really small businesses, and it does it really quickly because they use AI to kind of make super quick decisions about who and when and where they'll invest. They raised a $50 million equity round, which is going to you know fund the operations side of their business, and then they raised a $250 million fund, which is just the money, obviously, that they'll actually give to these companies. This is their third fund. They they wouldn't tell me the f size of their debut fund, but I'm guessing it was around $50 because their their second fund was $200 million. So now their ah. third is $250. And maybe it was even smaller than that because they had to have a, some sort of 
data to prove their model. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's a great because it's, it gives companies who don't want to sell equity in their businesses to VCs an option just to find some money that isn't, that isn't a, uh, you know, a traditional bank loan. Yeah. So I have a question about that just yeah. to, to jump in. So when I sell money, when I sell my stock to a venture capitalist, I sell them 10% of my company for X amount of dollars, which gives me a valuation. When I borrow money, I, I'm picking up debt. But in this case, it's revenue-based financing, which means that I am going to take money from them and I pay them back as a percentage of my revenue over time. And eventually I pay them back more money than they lent me. Is that the correct mechanism? That exactly. So you end up paying back, they charge 6% all of the capital that they are giving you. So the way that they determine between, the way that they determine how much they'll invest, which is going to be between 10 grand and 10 million typically not more or less. That's all based on on your revenue. And then, you know, they have a they have a thing called the 20 minute term sheet, which is like kind of a, you know, cutesy campaign that they launched. And I think it it did get, it did generate a lot of buzz because historically the process of raising VC is very tough. I, we all know that, but it's it's not only tough, it just takes a long time. Sure, sometimes you hear stories of people like getting a term sheet signed in a couple of days, but from what I've heard, it's like a lot of airplane rides, it's a lot of meetings on Sand Hill Road, it's a lot of like, eh, and then finally getting a term sheet. So they thought with this model, you, you fill out some paperwork, they quickly tell you, okay, we will or won't invest. They don't waste your time. And then that's all focused particularly on the e-commerce market because they felt like they had this really good opportunity of funding e-commerce startups who end up spending a lot of equity on things like Facebook ads. Yeah. And I think the point here was that they said something like, you know, you can raise uh, around as an e-commerce company and wind up spending 40% of that money on Facebook ads and Google ads and whatnot. Yeah. If you're going to spend money on advertising, don't sell your stock to do it because it's incredibly expensive capital that you're then pushing into kind of one-time sales probably. You know, you, when you say that, it sounds like a no-brainer, but people do get stuck because they like have, they need money and they turn to VC because perhaps they're already VC backed. Perhaps that's just the model that they, you know, they, they do want to be venture backed because venture capital can allow you to scale a lot faster you know and go global whatever it may be because you can get way more money but this is a great option and actually i think now that we're getting into this i actually think we've we've talked about clearbank on the podcast before but it's a great opportunity to raise both vc and some non-dilutive capital from something like clearbank yeah i mean and that's what clearbank did the, the irony to this whole thing is they not only raised around to invest into other people without taking equity they sold some of their own equity for 50 dollars but I presume that they feel this is non-ironic and going to be intelligent. And now they have 300 million total, which is a hell of a lot of money for them to play with. So I think it's exciting to see new ways for smart people to build companies while keeping more of the equity for themselves. Like yeah. Generally speaking, I like that. So I this agree. fits my matrix of happiness. I think there's nothing wrong with there being other options to VC. Like VC is not for everyone. And really a lot of companies that raise VC shouldn't. So, you know, I hope more things like this, and there are a lot of other, there are things like this already, but there really hasn't been a company that's tapped into sort of like the mainstream VC finance startup world in the way that ClearBank has, which is kind of, and when I say that, I feel like they're, you know, they're a startup themselves. So they're kind of in the same way Brex has really like brought in so much attention because they themselves are this startup that's grown so fast. ClearBank and Brex, which is funny that I'm bringing them up because I'm going to be interviewing both the CEOs of those companies, sorry, the co-founder of ClearBank, CEO of Brex at Disrupt, which is the TechCrunch conference in October. Which we're going to be at. Yes, we will. And we will be doing a live taping from from Disrupt. But yeah, I think um, both those companies have just grown so fast. It's just uh, like nothing we've really seen before in, in those spaces. Yeah. And like, if you want to look into other alternative models, you can look up uh, Indie.vc and there's mm -hmm. other people out there that are really trying to, to not take um, equity because like I said, not everyone's cut out for VC. But 
a company that is cut out for VC and in the SaaS space, which is Kate's literal favorite category. She demands hey. one major SaaS <laughs> round per show. It's no. the interesting, the shockingly delightful, the brand new Monday.com. Uh, I'm joking. Uh, Monday.com is a company you've probably heard of. If you haven't seen their advertisements on YouTube, turn off your ad blocker for about three If you live in New York and you ride the subway. Yep. I mean, they're, they're shockingly pervasive for a company that uh, isn't, you know, Microsoft size. Um, but they have raised a this week a $150 million new round at a $1.9 billion valuation. Uh, their last round was um, at a $550 million valuation. So they are a new unicorn, if you will, or a new unicorn, I believe is the phrase. And they did say that the revenue uh, more than doubled in 2018 compared to 2017. Hmm. Lots of money, SaaS company based out of Israel. What Kate is not to love? Uh, Everything, apparently. (laughs) Do do people like SaaS? Uh, I mean, it's obviously like the it's like the epicenter of venture capital right now. It's and every company it's like a SaaS company. It's it's great. SaaS is great. It's just not. It's not the most interesting. I think we. I think most of us prefer consumer tech. But you know, whatever. I mean, I, no. Well, I'm, everyone else might. I don't know. I, I'm willing to be in the small, the small contention on this one. We should do a survey. I, Maybe I'll do a Twitter survey. Um, we should do a Twitter survey. We can even hashtag it with whatever the hashtag is. Um, but quickly, the reason why this matters, I think, is because I am shocked at how much space there is inside of corporations for software from new players that is designed to increase productivity and internal communications. Slack, Teams. Monday, Asana, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these are all companies and products that are doing very, very well at the same time. That's a surprise to me. I would have guessed there was less room in the market for this, but I think it just yeah. goes to show. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and you only mentioned the really big ones, but they're so, I mean, I, I'm sure you know too from the pitches in your inbox, but I get pitched so many of these productivity companies. And I, you know, I just spoke to one recently and like, I was just, I was having such a hard time getting from them. Like, what one minor detail in their platform that they had that was different from what else was on the market. And honestly, I don't think anything was. And it's like, it's interesting to me that founders are so interested in building in the space because like, I don't know, to be a founder of a startup, you need to be really passionate about it. And why are people so passionate about streamlining workplace inefficiencies? Like, why is that so exciting? Okay, so I, I, I understand you entirely here because I don't over-optimize my life some people are just the opposite of us. They are so organized and so yeah. optimized. They obsess about productivity hacks. They read Life Hacker. They are all about this. And I think there's more of them out there than we think. And they get fired up. You're right. You're right, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really should be more. Um, I should start using some of these startups. Like I only just this week, actually it was last week, realized how to make it so my Gmail, so my emails that were unread were at the top of my inbox. Wait. <laughs> No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we can cut this out if we have to, but like, are you serious, Kate? <laughs> yes, I'm serious. Wait, what inbox do you have turned on? I have, I only see important and unread. Everything else in Gmail is gone. I don't know. For some reason, I'm shockingly bad at navigating Gmail. No, no, that's because Gmail hasn't gotten better. Like, no, Gmail G- is, I, I could complain about Gmail for an app, uh, for, uh, I could do it for the rest of the day. It drives me nuts. But anyway, I just haven't, I know people have like really mastered their inbox and I am somebody who like likes to be at inbox zero. So it's, which is really hard. Uh, it's really hard, but it's even harder because every email platform out there sucks. And I'm not talking about superhuman because I personally refuse to pay for an inbox. Like, are you kidding me? Like $16 a month. But yeah, so let's not, let's not go down this rabbit hole. If we end up talking about superhuman again, we're going to get in trouble with someone. I, here's what I'll say. If you're in Gmail for your corporation or your personal life, important and unread, don't see anything else. It's okay. But 
Notion is another company in the space, et cetera, et cetera, yes, et cetera. Yes. Everyone's working on this stuff. Oh. I think broadly, we're all overtaxed and we're over messaged and over emailed and trying to find a way forward is good. But let's uh, put a pin in that and talk about uh, Compass which has raised a new parcel of money, Kate, at an even higher valuation. What's yes. going on? So Compass, um, the real estate platform, I'm, I'm a little out of breath from my rant about... Um. <laughs> Podcasting is hard work. People don't understand the effort we put into this show. We do push-ups, we run marathons, we podcast for you. So, okay, so real estate platform Compass raised um, yet another $370 million. They're now valued at $6.5 billion, $6.4 billion actually, um, which means they're a company you should be paying attention to if you hadn't heard of them. So um, we are going to keep that really brief because we don't ca- care that much about Compass. Um, just two more quick numbers. They were worth $4.4 billion last year, and uh, in their most recent quarter, revenues were up 250%. Why, oh, why? All right, moving on. Okay, and our last topic of the day, there is a big fundraise. Power Plant Ventures raised $165 million. Alex, what is Power Plant Ventures? Uh, well, first of all, it has the single best name in the venture capital game because it's not even after a tree, a rock, or a mountain. And its name is a play on words because it is not a venture capital fund focused on power generation or electricity. It's about uh, using the power of plants and doing plant-based foods, which is a very hot topic these days. And uh, this is the Power Plant Ventures' second fund. Their first was $42 million, so quite a larger investment pool for fund two. Uh, they put money into things like Beyond Meat, which you've probably heard of, Thrive Market, Veggie Grill, and others. Um, essentially, it's a kind of a niche fund focused on plant-based food stuff, which is hot right now. Yeah. It's blowing up. It's really hot. And I mean, gosh, after seeing the success of Impossible Foods, right? Or is it, which one is the one that recently went public? Beyond Meat. Okay, sorry. I get those confused, um, obviously, because they're the same. But yeah, after, <laughs> after seeing the success of Beyond Meat. So I think it's... I think it's really great because for so long, we've seen a ton of venture capital go into food, food delivery, and like just things like that. But now to see it go into actual sustainable solutions is, is like, finally, this is great. Great. Very um, good development. It is. I, I just, <laughs> I recently went to a vegan restaurant with my healthy friends and ate vegan food. And I was always, it's just, every time I do that, I'm like, ah, this is why. This is why I don't do it. Vegan so. food is great. I had a vegan burrito for lunch at a place called Papalito in um, The Mission. I've heard. I might not be the name. Papalote. 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 Chris is nodding. Papalote. Anyway, it was great. So I, I'm all for this. Um, I'm also all for niche funds because, like, uh, you know, we have these entities like the SoftBank Fission Fund, which is a 98 billion dollar, soon to be what 108 billion dollar second fund that can just spray and pray invest all over the place not necessarily have a focus and even billion dollar funds same thing they can be kind of like these industry agnostic uh, vehicles but when you have these niche funds that are really specialized they can not only keep a really cohesive portfolio but they can also provide really great guidance and support and strategic consulting and all that to their portfolio companies so i I think it's a net positive yeah yeah and if you think back to like the the earlier days of venture before today when everyone had a billion dollar fund, and we'll get to that in just a second, uh, people had theses, they, they had thoughts that, about the market that they then used to go out and invest thematically. And like this is essentially a single thesis fund, if you wanna think about it that way. Uh, now in the vision fund era, really the, in the post Andreessen billion dollar fund era from back in the day, like 2011, whatever that was, uh, to see a fund be this focused is almost against the grain. And that's to me what makes it interesting. This is a different thing. Yes. And that's why I like it. I agree. And so there were three other fundraises today alone. While we're on the subject of specialized, Oak HCFT, which is a healthcare fintech fund, 
raised $800 million, which is their, th- their third fund. I think they, they kind of emerged around 2014. They were a spin out of a, a larger kind of like private equity sort of thing called Oak Investment Advisors, I think. Uh, Oak okay. Investment Partners. And then, so that's one. And then we have a $700 million fund from the hedge fund VC kind of uh, mix co2. And lastly, Lux Capital raised $1 billion. Now, what was the, the split up there, Alex? Okay, so it's um, it's $1.05 billion, I think, total. So it's 500 for its sixth flagship early stage fund. And then, according to Fortune, another 550 for a, quote, opportunity fund, which will focus on later stage investments. Now, it's pretty common for funds these days to have two components. Um, one focused on their traditional niche and then one kind of like to write bigger checks into their winners and also to buy stakes of other things they want to own. I think YC does this and a lot of other people. Um, but it's 700 million, 800 million and 1.05 billion just today announced. You know, it's, it's crazy. And just one more note on that Lux um, Capital Fund. They also hired or they poached a, an investor from GV, Dina Shakir, who is going to be an investment partner there, which is kind of a big, uh, you don't normally see people leaving GV, you know, for other, for other um, competing funds. So it's kind of an interesting thing to note. Have you heard a lot from GV lately? Well, I, I, I haven't. Maybe it's just me. I just you brought it up, and I was like, oh, you know, I. When's the last time GV was like in my inbox? Well, so we TechCrunch recently had like a dinner where we got to ha- um, sit with all the GV GPs. Oh. Yeah, it was it was very weird. We'd never done anything like it, but we had a dinner, um, and it was all the GPs of Gen- of Google Ventures and all the TechCrunch reporters who live in San Francisco. And so in my mind, it's like they're so I learned so much about each one of them and like where they invest and like one of them was getting married and like all these things. So it's all very like fresh to me. So I'm very biased is what I guess my answer is. Well, I did get invited (laughs) to that. So I have not heard from them, nor have I seen it. But I have done I have done dinners and lunches like that. uh, And sometimes they go pretty well. So, yeah, I mean, it was certainly a good way to learn a lot about uh, a fund at one point. But I also wouldn't really recommend that becoming a thing more than it already is. <laughs> sometimes you have to go out and be social and sometimes it takes weird forums if you're a reporter. It's just a fact of life. Anyways, you were going to wrap us up. And please. Yes, I'm going to wrap us up. So thanks everyone for listening again. Just a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kate Clark tweets. Alex is more simply at Alex. I'm so jealous of your uh, Twitter handle, Alex. I know it's a really good one. Our hashtag is hashtag equity pod, which Alex never remembers, even though it's like, so, I mean, what else would it be? Equity podcast, I guess. I always remember it. I'm always just kind of ashamed of using my own hashtag. Like there's this weird, like self-promotional vibe to it that makes me feel kind of icky. Just I'll be, go over it. Yeah, I'll be shameless. And then lastly, like I said before, email us at equitypod at techcrunch.com. Like if you have any feedback or you have ideas for guests or you're somebody who wants to be on. Um, and that's it. And come catch us uh, next Friday. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. Okay. Uh, and then Monday.com, which uh, you think is boring. What is it? It's, it's oh, it's the- SAS. Yeah, see, that's, I knew, I knew it. <laughs> I was just in New York, though, and I saw a ton of Monday.com billboards, and I was with my friend, and they were like, They were like, oh, I bet you know what that company is. And I was like, nah, I think that's a public company.